You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. My special guest today is author Debbie Clark Modrow. Debbie's going to be here talking to us a little bit about uh, her latest book, Fast Into the Night, A Woman, Her Dogs, and Their Journey North of the Iditarod Trail. So we're going to find out about those wonderful dogs up in Alaska and the excitement about the Iditarod and all the things that Debbie does. So it's going to be a great show, definitely something that is going to be of interest to everybody. So everybody just hang tight. Come back right after these commercial breaks. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. People say less is more. At Red Barn, we think less is better. It's what you won't find that sets our natural premium pet food apart. No byproducts, no corn or soy, no fillers. Just the natural ingredients your pets need to live the healthy life they deserve. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Try our grain-free rolled food. It's protein-packed with less risk of food sensitivity. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. And joining me uh, today is author Debbie Clark Modrow, talking to her about her latest book, Fast Into Night. Welcome to the show and tell us a little bit about your book. Well, thanks so much. It's great to be on the show. My book is a memoir about my journey along the Iditarod Trail. It took me two attempts to complete the Iditarod sled dog race. My story is really a dog story. That's the reason I go out there and it's the heart of our life and it's the heart of the book. Fantastic. We all, you know, from a, an observer standpoint, some of us have had the uh, the joy of being there. Unfortunately, I have not, but I know many people at, attend and watch the Iditarod. Most of us do it from afar. Tell us a little bit about how you got started in all that and the whole process, because I'm not sure if everybody realizes where the dogs come from, how you form a team, and, and how do you get out there to do the great work that you guys do? Well, I ran Iditarod for the first time in 2003, However, we got our first sled dog in 1989. So it was a very long progression from we adopted actually a retired Iditarod Husky, fell in love with him. And uh, before you knew it, he was pulling me on skis in a sport called ski joring down the snowy trail. And then my husband and I had two young children. We all loved dogs. And Before you know it, the kids wanted to get one or two more dogs. Could we just get on a sled behind Salt and some younger dogs? And so so began our backyard kennel. And throughout those years, really, it was a family affair. And we grew the numbers that lived in our backyard little by little so the kids could run in small junior races. We went camping with our dogs. And one thing leads to another. Kids go to college and mom decides to run Iditarod. <laughs> An empty nester to a full kennel on one fell swoop. <laughs> well, so, you know, the, the kids were in tears leaving saying goodbye to their dogs. And I looked out the window and thought, oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Now, walk us through the process as far as how do you find the right dogs, how many are in the the race at one time, and then how does that process work? Because, you know, I know you guys don't go 24-7 for days on end. Give us a brief overview of how that, that whole process, how you go from choosing the right dogs, 
getting them trained and then getting out there and actually participating in this? You're asking some big questions. First of all, to run Iditarod is to go with your best friends across the state of Alaska on a wilderness journey. And to do that, you really do need years and years and thousands and thousands of miles of experience with being an outdoor musher. You need to be self-sufficient with your animals. You need to care for them every inch of the way. And so you choose dogs. We all do. First of all, in the race, you have to have northern breed dogs that have a double coat. They're well-suited for the trail. These dogs are bred and born to do this. They're happy dogs that you look for. They're incredible athletes. You choose dogs that are bred for this. We look for good appetites, good feet, double coats, and a will to run. Now, a Labrador has a will to swim, and, and our dogs have a heart for the trail. So they're pretty much born with that. And then you put your dogs and yourself through miles and miles of training that span many seasons. But for instance, the year you run Iditarod, pretty much you put two to 3,000 miles at least on your dogs before you even get to the starting line. So you've gone on many camping trips. In summer training, we start out doing three-mile runs, and by Thanksgiving, we're doing 50-mile runs, and it goes on from there. Wow. And then now you talk about the athletes themselves. Obviously, the dogs have to learn your commands, have to learn how to work as a team, and have to be strong mm-hmm. athletes. But you have to be a strong athlete, too, because I will say that it's been many years, but I visited Alaska quite a few years back, and it was in late spring, so it wasn't the heavy snow, but I did have a chance to go out with a small team and, and ride. And it <laughs> seems like a lot of fun when you get on there. It's like, okay, uh, this is bumpy. This is, uh, I got to get my balance here. Uh, these dogs are ready to go, and I'm hanging on for dear life. Well, you know, you start Iditarod with 16 dogs in front of you, which is a lot. I weigh around 120 pounds. So you do have to be strong. It takes technique, like skiing, for instance. You know, you get better at it and you're not using every single muscle in your body anymore. You know exactly, you know, what to do to to carve a good turn skiing or to turn the sled around a a, um, sharp corner. But I worked hard on my own fitness throughout. Well, I do that anyway. But throughout my Iditarod years, I worked hard on my fitness, mostly because I wanted to be the very best I could be for my dogs. So yes, when you're the trainer of an Iditarod team and you are the musher, your responsibility is to train your dogs and to train yourself so that you know, you really are a team and you don't want to let them down. That would be the worst. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So then uh, choosing to do this, I mean, how many people on an average are participating in this in in a given event? Are there different stages or different levels that are competing at a certain time or is it everybody's out there going for it? Well, the Iditarod itself is the equivalent of a human marathon for the dogs. So, that's a 1,000-mile race. Generally, these days, there are between 50 and, I think, 85, 90 mushers teams in it every year. There are other races. I had gone into multiple 100, 200, 300-mile races before I ran Iditarod, and there are certainly many different avenues into the sport and to perform in the sport without doing Iditarod. But for me, it represented an ultimate play out of adventure to experience with my dogs. So that's why I chose to do it. There you go. 
Well, with the dogs themselves, I mean, is this a year-long training event for them getting ready for a big event like the Iditarod? Or I guess our listeners want to know, what do they do in their downtime? Do, do you have 18 dogs laying in your bed at night? That's what they'd want to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, our dog yard, we typically have between 20 and 35 dogs. And we are committed to them 24-7, 365 days of the year. They do all come into the house to visit. They all know how to sit. They all know how to come. We take them on walks. In the summer, they go out hiking. For a long time, we had, oh, probably a dozen dogs that we could set loose around a little lake, and we would get in a canoe, and they would swim behind us. Um, (laughs) It varies which dogs like water, which don't who likes to hike. We do train in the summertime on the cooler days in front of a four-wheeler, an all-terrain vehicle. But, you know, temperatures are cold enough to be training these dogs really from mid-August through May. So the downtime, we vary it up and uh, get them out in a variety of circumstances. And we want to retire our dogs as pets. I have several at my feet right now. In fact, one of them is my best leader right now, and yet she doubles as my house pet. So they're (laughs) friendly, very versatile, devoted dogs. Fantastic. Wonderful. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with uh, Debbie Clark Modro to talk to her a little bit more about her book, Fast in the Night. I want to get into uh, writing the book, how that went about, and how uh, how easy that was, I'm sure. <laughs> and then talk to her more about her writing as well. So everybody hang tight. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. You love your dog and getting kisses from them. But their breath can be downright stanky. Knock out their smelly breath with Stank Be Gone. Stank Be Gone is made with natural ingredients to eliminate their bad breath while helping to reduce plaque and tartar. Just add a capful to your dog's drinking water. Stank Be Gone is only $19.95. Use promo code STANK to receive a second bottle for just $5. Go to stankbegone.com today. That's stankbegone.com. So when we brought him home, we didn't realize that Bear the Rescue Dog was actually sick. He had very flaky skin. He was dropping a lot of fur. And Lavette wanted to do steroid injections, special dog food. Nothing seemed to work. So I've been hearing Dinovite on the radio for years. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. 859-428-1000. It never actually crossed my mind to try it until I was just at a dead end. And then it finally sunk in. Oh, you're talking about hair and skin. And all right, (laughs) I'll try it. Well, it took probably six weeks, but after we started using Dinovite, no more flaky skin. He doesn't scratch and itch, and he started to put weight on. It was was awesome. He makes us feel like we saved him. Every rescue dog in America deserves Dinovite for 90 days. I wish that we would have started the Dinovite right away. It would have been so much easier. 859-428-1000. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm here with author Debbie Clark Modro. Talk to her about her book, uh, Fast into the Night. 
a woman, her dogs, and their journey north of the Iditarod Trail. Now, Debbie, tell us a little bit about the book. How did that come about? Did you always have a burning desire to write this book? And, uh, and then what was the process like when you uh, put it together? Well, when I crossed beneath the Burled Arch finish for the Iditarod race with my dog team, I knew I had lived an incredible story. And I felt really fortunate to have been granted that chance. You know, here I'd gone across the state of Alaska with my dogs, and I knew that I was I was so elated and I felt so satisfied, yet the play out of that race, and I don't want to spoil the book, was not anything like I expected it to be. I mean, it was not all pretty, but we got there, and I knew I knew I wanted to give something back. I knew I wanted to really tell a story. And I, yes, I had always wanted to do something artistic with my life, but I'd raised kids and a bunch of dogs and I'd worked through all that time. And I, and so this was my chance, I thought, to try to put my story onto the page and also try to make sense of what I'd lived. So that was the inspiration. And I talk about, talked to a friend the other night about how the finish line of Iditarod was really the starting line for the book. And uh, I never dreamt it would take me 11 years before I published a book. I, I <laughs> thought it would be a whole lot faster than that. <laughs> exactly. Well, then the, the book itself, once you decided to put, uh, we'll just say pen to paper, I'm assuming you did not do it that way, but if you did, right. big kudos to you. But what was the process from there? How long did it take to put it all together? Uh, how long did it take to get a publisher's attention? Well, I, um, as soon as I got off, I ran two races, as you know, and the minute I got off the runners in each race, I just wrote and wrote and wrote to try to get down exactly what had happened out there. And so I had those notes. Now, and I did arrive, you're very sleep deprived. So, you know, memory plays tricks, but of course, memory is the currency of memoir, and that's the whole point. So, from those notes, I wrote the story out chronologically, but I really wanted to break into that universal realm of wonder and exploration of what it really meant. And I hope that people reading it can apply my unique journey to theirs. And even if their goals or ambitions have nothing to do with dog sledding, and they probably don't. Um, so I wanted to really make sense of where I'd been and try to figure out what that meant on a, a broader scale. So that's when I started breaking it up chronologically and trying to figure out really to piece together the story, the strands of the exact story I wanted to tell. Now, this is uh, your first book that you have it out. Is. What about the rest of your writing background? Obviously, I know you've studied uh, creative writing, and have you published before in other uh, publications? I have published an essay or two, but I am pretty much a new writer. I did, after I got a pretty good draft of this book down, I did go back to school, and it made all the difference. I got a low-residency MFA degree at Pacific Lutheran University at the Rainier Writing Workshop, and it was a joy. Three years working with a mentor, each year a different mentor, and I really doubled down on my writing effort and skills, I think. So that really made a huge difference for me. <laughs> now, with writing uh, and, and putting together this book in particular, what were some of the things you thought were going to be uh, extremely easy that turned out to be a challenge? Or what were some of the things that you thought, oh my gosh, I don't look forward to this, and, then, and it became such a breeze for you? Well, in the beginning, I would put down into my description what it felt like when I was having this broken connection with my dogs and how devastating that was. And people would look at me and say, Debbie, how did that feel? And I'm like, can you not see the blood on that paper? I know I told you how it felt. <laughs> so I think really digging deep into my own emotions 
was a much more hefty exercise than I expected. And then I started worrying that that sounded self-indulgent. It felt self-indulgent. And I learned through many very skillful writing mentors. And I really believe this is true. You know, we all have our own experiences. And if you go deep, deep into them, that's the only way you can break your experience out so that it might be useful on a, on a wider, more universal scale. So I had to get through that. I had to get through that, oh, memoir is really an egotistical way of looking at things and then realize that you have no choice. You've got to go deep. And then that's where you find meaning. And really, that was true in the race, too. I had to double my efforts. I had to figure out what was going on out there with me and my dogs. And it really was a a dynamic between me and, and this team of dogs in front of me and a dynamic between the two of them that we just had to figure out. And, uh... I don't have all the answers on the trail or in the book, but I gave it all my best shot. Oh, I love it. I love that analogy. I love how you have tied the two together. You know, that the work that you did, I'm sure you trained, trained, trained for that Iditarod and working with your dogs. And then there were still things that you had to uncover once you were out there. And I think it's definitely the same way, especially when you put together a memoir. It, there's so many stories to tell because you got to determine what you're going to tell and how much of the story you're going to tell. And at the same time, you, you can't tell it at such a high level because not everybody is your has experienced it. You're the only one that has experienced it. So even your closest friends and family, they don't know all the details. So you do like your analogy there. You have to dig deep and tell the whole story as if you're meeting this reader for the very first time. Right, right. And it's very personal stuff, you know, and and that's both the wild part about it right now is this book goes out into the world, you know, for me, it's like, oof, there's a lot of me in those pages. And then, but really the book, the book is its own story. And I hope I've honored the dogs, that group of dogs, most of them, unfortunately, are gone now. Of course, I've outlived them, but they were, oh, they were a wonderful, wonderful bunch. And uh, we had just some incredible miles together out there. Uh, well, I think you did a great job with the book and definitely a great job honoring the dogs and love the, the photos out there and uh, makes me cold looking at some of them. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you get I know used that, to the cold. The I cold know. People have said she doesn't talk enough about how cold it is out there. And the truth of the matter is you do acclimatize. And yes, it was cold, but used to it. And you also, it's the circumstance you're in and you deal with it. That's so you right. don't think at the time, oh, I'm so cold, you know, because you're thinking, okay, we need to eat more. We need to drink more. Every, we all need to keep moving. <laughs> That's right. Well, so. you're prepared for it, and, and you, you live there, so that, that helps out, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, and the adrenaline, I'm sure, is rushing at all times, both the adrenaline of the race as well as keep trying to keep track of everything that you have to do to make sure that you guys are successful but also safe out there. Right, right. That's wonderful. Tell our listeners a little bit more about where they can find out more about you and the events you're going to be having, as well as where you can pick up a copy of the book. Well, I have a website, and it's debbieclarkmotoro.com, Clark with an E in it. The name of the book is Fast Into the Night, and uh, available really wherever books are sold. I will be going on a tour across the country. I'm going to Seattle, Bellingham, Portland, Minneapolis, Boston and Manchester, Vermont in February. So um, I'm really looking forward to meeting readers. It's my first book and uh, there's been a big build up, but I'm very anxious to just look someone in the eye and, and talk to them. I think the reader is something a writer is always writing towards and I'm, I'm so looking forward to meeting people. 
that are interested in the book so and the dogs well you'll have fun on the tour i'm sure everybody go to uh, debbieclarkmodro.com we'll post this on our site as well keep track of all the events and if you live in those areas definitely come out and see her and hear more firsthand about what uh, went into the book as well as her experiences and meanwhile everybody pick up a copy of fast into the night a woman, her dogs, and the journey north of the Iditarod Trail. Debbie, congratulations on a great book, and uh, we're excited about it. Good luck on your uh, tour and promoting the book, and we'll look forward to talking to you some more down the road. Thanks so much, and thanks for having me on your show. Oh, I really pleasure. appreciate it. My pleasure. Well, we're uh, coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank uh, producers and sponsors for making this show possible. If you have any questions for me, you can email me at tim at petliferadio.com. It's tim at petliferadio.com, and I'll be glad to answer your questions and entertain your comments and bring on the people you want to hear from most. And while you're out there, uh, visit our website, petliferadio.com. You can download all the episodes from Animal Rights Show by clicking the Animal Rights icon. And while you're there, check out all the other wonderful shows and hosts and the plethora of entertainment that can be found only on PetLifeRadio.com. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life, share it in a blog, or write it in a magazine, or publish it in a book, and who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.